Thank you for joining us here at Crossword Church for this week's message. Our desire is to see people's lives transform as they develop an authentic relationship with Jesus. We would like to hear how God is using this ministry in your life. So take a moment and visit us online at mycrosswordchurch.com. Thanks again for joining us, and we hope you enjoyed today's message. You know, the new year is always a great year to refocus, renew, and reset our lives. And to really be able to lock in on what matters most. One of the things that COVID has done, it has caused many people to reevaluate their priorities. Uh, <laughs> the things that I thought was really important is not really as important as I thought they were. You know, and, um, and so as you go into a new year, we really want to make an evaluation of our lives and of what is really important to us. I would submit that as believers, the most important thing to us should be to become more like Christ and to allow God's presence to be our dwelling place. I'm going to say that again, to allow God's presence to be our dwelling place. That means we get to create a, a place for God to inhabit. Amen? Okay. So six exhortations for 2021. And then God's willing, next week, I'm going to give you four resolutions that we should go into the new year um, with in our, in our hearts and in our minds. The first one, um, and before I do, let me go ahead and read um, Philippians chapter 3. Uh, beginning in verse 12, verses 12 through 14. And um, it says, Paul is writing here and he says, Now, not that I have already obtained all of this. <laughs> you know, uh, if you have your Bible, you might want to write, circle that this. What is the all of this that Paul is talking about? Okay. Or have already arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold of that which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Right? Paul continues and he says, Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it. Circle it. What is he talking about? But one thing I do, forgetting that which that I'm sorry, forgetting what is behind and straining towards what is ahead. Paul says, I press on towards the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. Paul says, I haven't yet obtained this. I haven't arrived at my goal. And we understand um, from a little bit of biblical history, who Paul was and what Paul had been doing. He's been ministering, he's studied, he's learned, but there's still something in him that's, there's a yearning in him for more of the this. <laughs> We're going to get to that. The first, the first exhortation is this. Realize that there is more to being a believer than you have experienced. 
I think what we do sometimes is we come to faith in Christ and then we come to church and then we just begin to coast. And we begin to just do what we see other people doing. We say what we see other people saying. And we begin to get comfortable with the God of the universe who allows us to call him Abba, Father. We get comfortable with him. And we start feeling as though that when we hear words or when we sing songs, what our spirit tends to do is to disconnect and say, oh, I heard that before. Oh, I know that. I see what they're saying. And we begin to literally coast in our faith. It's as though that we have already attained. And now we're just waiting for Jesus to come back. And I want us to understand if Paul, this humble but yet brilliant servant of God, who literally sacrificed everything, was still hungry and still wanted more, how much more should we be hungry and still desire more of God? What you have experienced with God, church, there's so much more. Oh, Jesus. Not that I have already attained or that I have already arrived at my goal. Paul, he was a committed believer. He was called to ministry, which included the demanding work of planting church churches, not in his own hometown, but in foreign countries. You know, Acts chapter 9 and chapter 13 kind of talks about this. Paul also had abandoned his career of being a tent maker. Very lucrative business in Corinth for the sake of the call in order to preach the gospel. Acts chapter 18 kind of gives some account of that. And then Paul endured a list of abuses and sufferings and persecutions for the sake of Christ. You could go to 2 Corinthians chapter 11, around verse, 13, verse 16, to get a list of those things. And in spite of all of this, his accomplishments in ministry, Paul still was hungry for more of God. <laughs> the greatest thing you can do, you and I can do, is to go into 2021 hungrier than we did in 2020. Hungrier for more of God. Having a greater expectation of God's presence in our lives. And God's power working through our lives. You know, um, you know, we were having family devotions this morning. And one of the things that we begin to unpack and understand is that we don't take enough time with God. We want everything now. And so when we get in God's presence, we get in God's presence and we have our list and we put our list off to him and, and then we step back and we're like, okay, come on now, bring my list to pass. We don't know what it means to come into his presence and to just sit at his feet and just to be enthralled for who he is. 
We, we don't know what it means to just lay in his presence and allow that presence to just saturate the core of our being. And then while we're in his presence, we haven't even asked him for anything yet. But in his presence, he began to lift depression off of us. In his presence, he began to lift fear off of us. Just in his presence alone. And what happens is we are so busy and quick to move that we never allow ourselves to really be inhabited by the King of Kings. And so we get satisfied saying prayers, singing songs, but never really being in the presence of the King of Kings. And so our Christian life and our Christianity becomes shallow and lacking and doesn't have any power. And we read the book of Acts and we don't realize and we don't understand why doesn't God work through me or through us like he did in the book of Acts or in other people. The price is this. We must develop, develop an incredible appetite for God's presence. Which means we have to be willing to sacrifice something for it. Because we live in a world that is competing for your time, your attention, for your affection. And in order for God to become your delight, your pursuit, you got to push some things, and may I dare say, some people to the side. <laughs> I'm trying to get to stay, stay on my notes, honey, but God's pulling me right here for, for a second. And, and, and so, and so for, for, for us to begin to walk out this Christian life in the way that we see it in the scriptures, it's going to require us to be convinced and persuaded that God is really who he says he is. And we begin to move in that faith. In that living faith. You notice I said living versus just faith. Because many times we say we're operating in faith, but there is a dead faith. And then there is a living faith. James 2, 14 talks about this, that it's important for us to understand that if we have faith and we don't do works, our faith is dead. It doesn't mean that it's about works. It means that our faith must be matched with our works. And then faith, because faith without works is dead. Okay. <laughs> so, 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 uh, let me get back to my notes. So, you know, Paul is known for, you know, these epistles that he wrote, and there were at least four of them that were known as the prison epistles. So, you know, <laughs> that simply means that where Paul wrote these, those epistles from, he was literally in prison. <laughs> now, it, it, you really wouldn't think that a person that's in a prison could sound so free and liberated in their writings, would you? Which tells us that you can be incarcerated physically, but your mind and your spirit can be free to do and say whatever God has placed in your heart. And so we see Paul writing these epistles from, from, uh, to the Ephesians, to the Colossians, to, to a personal one, to Philemon. He, he, he most, more than likely, most theologians say he wrote the Philippian epistle um, from the prison in Rome, which is probably the last epistle that he wrote. So, you know, when we search the scriptures, we discover that 
committed believers want more of God. Not just want more from God. Oh, God, help us. Want more of God. Uh, to the children of Israel, God could only show his hands. But to Moses, God could show his face. See? And most times, we get stuck on wanting his hands. And we get comfortable and we feel as though that that's the perfect place to be, to show me your hands. But what we have to understand, the perfect place to be is to show me your face. Let me gaze into your face. Let me understand your mind and your will so that in seeing your face, I'll be transformed to be more like you. So, so the committed believer wants more of God. While the carnal believer, carnal, right? Believer wants more from God and feels that they need to focus on themselves. When we're operating in carnality, the focus, the gaze is on self. When we're operating in true spirituality, we focus, the gaze is on God. See? Okay, let me, let, me, let me continue. Is this helping everybody, anybody? Uh, okay, okay, number two, number two. Um, number two. Pursue becoming the person God called you to be. Uh, some of us, there was a, a season and a time in our lives when there was a distinct call that we knew God called us. But then life begin to pour some stuff on us, right? And not only that, then the enemy starts showing up in places and in people that we didn't expect. And then all of a sudden, the call starts becoming diminished in my pursuit. Oh, God help me right now. Uh, the, the call, the call becomes, it starts waning because of everything that gets poured in on me in my life. And then it's, if I'm not careful, I start wondering, God, don't you see this? Is, is it just pastor alone? You, sometimes we start saying, God, just, can you just please fix it? We know you, I know you can fix it. Why are you making it? And we start getting kind of indignant with God. <laughs> and the pursuit of the call begins to get pushed in the background of my life. Right? Because my focus and my gaze becomes folk on me. And what I'm not getting, what I thought I was going to be getting because I was called, but the reality of what I am getting because of the call. <laughs> oh, Jesus. Paul says, I press to make it my own. What's the it? The it is this. Very simple. It's the life of God in Christ. That, that's the it. That, that's, that's what Paul is striving after. The life of God in Christ. How do I get the life of God in Christ to be framed and reframed and reframed in me? <laughs> it means that I have to be willing to go through some suffering. I have to be willing to go through some adversity. I have to allow God to show up in places and in situations in my life where I have no control and I 
come to resolve that I'm not going to try to fix it anymore. Because the only thing that will fix it is the life of God in Christ in me. Jesus. Family members that will keep trying to agitate you. You start talking about God and they act like they want to fight. You just need to stand resolute. God help me. You need to be resolved and let the life of God in Christ begins to stand tall in, inside of you. When they say things that want to tick you off or want to get you to fly off the handle, you begin to stand resolute and you begin to let the joy of God flow out of you. You begin to let the peace of God flow out of you. You begin to let the, the, the love of God flow out of you. You stand resolute. Hmm. There's a little writing from Pastor Jack Hayford. Some of you know who he is. Pastor to pastor, many pastors. Jack Hayford says this about pressing towards the mark. Jack, he, says, he says, the Apostle Paul had been a man dominated by pride who taught that religion and academic achievement was enough. Now, now Pastor Jack is going a little bit you know, in the back because you got to understand uh, Paul was a Pharisee, right? He was a religious leader. Um, he was a Pharisee of the Pharisees. That means he had some notoriety to who he is. He was filled with, uh, with zeal for what he was doing. <laughs> he felt that his degrees and his pedigrees was the ultimate uh, um, um, course and the ultimate um, ability for people to recognize how spiritual he was, how, how in tune with God he was, how much of following the law he was doing. Okay. Yet in a confrontation with Jesus on the road to Damascus, he discovered that nothing he taught was enough, really was enough. He had an encounter with Jesus Christ and immediately he recognized all of his stuff that he had acquired meant nothing. If you read some of his epistles, Paul makes statements like, everything I've acquired is like, fill, is like dung. I will count it all dung so that what? I can attain Christ. And so as he bowed before the lordship of Jesus, he began to rise to its true dimension. The true dimension of what it means to be in relationship with the king of kings and the lord of lords. While not devaluating discipline, which means Paul is not devaluating all the training that he did. Paul realized that following Jesus is not about religious achievements but about walking in a permanent lifestyle of dependence on him. We, we, we got to learn to lean on him. Oh, Jesus. You know, when, when, when the enemy come in and, 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 and thoughts are bombarding your mind, you just got to go in front of the mirror and just make this gesture. You know, if people around you, they're not, they're not going to understand. So here's an opportunity for good gospel message. When they, when they see you leaning, you, you tell them, no, 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 I'm just leaning on my heavenly father. I, I, I'm, I, I'm, I'm learning how to lean on the eternal power of God that's able to keep me from falling. And so for us, we have become comfortable being independent versus being interdependent and totally dependent interdependent on my brothers and sisters in Christ and totally dependent on my Lord and Savior Jesus. Thank you, Pastor Jack. So, so, you know, 
Paul says, Paul says this word press, press. It's the idea of pressure. Occur, it's, it occurs about three times in uh, Philippians 3, intermittently. And it also means the word follow, pursue, and persecute, and also to flee. It's really talking about being impassioned in your pursuit. See, when we press, we'll get to that. Let me, let me just continue this. Paul says that he follows after Christ in strong pursuit. But he also described how in his former life that he persecuted the church with great zeal. Okay, so I want us to see what's going on. Not because Paul got saved, or let me say it like this. Paul getting saved didn't minimize his drive and pursuit and his, his passion. When he was in the world, he was full of passion. He was full of zeal. He was purposeful. When he became a follower of Christ, God used that same personality, that same giftedness, and that turn towards accomplishing and moving the kingdom of God forward. Here is what happens. Sometimes we, be, we are in the world, and we're full of zeal and passion, and we're trying to get everybody there, and then we come to Christ. And then all of a sudden, we start sitting on our hands. We start sitting in our laurels. We're looking around saying, uh, don't they see that that need to get done? That, you know, the pastor need, they need, and we start, we become spectators in the kingdom. See, see, what we're seeing here with Paul is that he did not change as far as his personality goes, from as far as his pursuit goes, as far as his, his passion goes. It ju it's just that he was now redeemed. And so now his mind was renewed, and now he had repented, and so he had changed his mind. And now that passion and that zeal and that hunger, it now becomes focus towards advancing God's kingdom agenda. Hmm. See, when we press, we press not by legalistic mandate, but by the manifest passion and purity of our own pursuit of Christ. So we're not, we're not pressing because it's some sort of religious mandate. We're not pressing so we can check the box and, said, and say, God, I pressed today. Did, did you see how much I pressed in that, God? No, no, no. We're pressing because we are consumed with a desire for more of him. Hmm. Okay, let me just continue. Number three, number three. Let your passion be energized because of the redeeming work of Christ. That's exactly what we saw with Paul. On the Damascus Road, you guys know the story, right? Acts chapter 9, Paul is indignant. He is downright fed up. Listen, um, um, what's his name? Stephen, who was the first martyr in the New Testament, in around Acts chapter 7 or so, um, Acts chapter 7, Steve, uh, Paul was right there. His name was Saul back then, but Paul was right there. I would imagine either grabbing a stone or giving somebody a stone because he was so mad at what the Christians were doing. <laughs> you know, and then he has this encounter on the Damascus Road, and 
his passion was redeemed. And now he became passionate about the work of Christ. Paul said, I press on to make it, this pursuit of Christ, my own. Well, I could stop there and just teach on that for a second because we, we so long have, have trafficked in other people's faith. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Um, whether, whether it be children holding on to their parents' faith or their grandparents' faith or, 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 or saints, you know, holding on to the pastor's faith or, or the believers. We have trafficked so much in other people's faith. We need to make our faith our own. At some point, as parents, it's important that they own their own faith. Because there comes a time when the text message might not go through or the phone call might not go through. And it, the resolve has to be with what you have in God yourself. Your faith has to be your own faith. Sometimes you can't get to somebody to get a prayer through. Here's a challenge. How about you become the person that people call to get a prayer through? Here's a statement. Here's a statement. Christ Jesus has made me his own. This is what Paul is saying. And we know this happened on the Damascus Road. We have to become energized by the redeeming work of Christ. Number four, number four. Never let the past hinder your pursuit of God's purpose for your future. I'm going to have to park here for a second. Second, second. Paul says, Paul says, I do multiple things. No, that's not what the text says. Paul says one thing. One thing I do, it reminds me of David in Psalms 27. And David is about to make a, make a, uh, a statement, and, and David says this, One thing I desire, and that I seek after, I pursue. What is that? That's Psalms 27. That I may dwell. You know what that word means? Tabernacle. It means reside. It means sit down. It means to inhabit. One thing I desire, that one thing I seek. See, the problem is we got too many one things. We, we got too many different pursuits. We got, we got too many things pulling us many ways. And so we don't know how to lock in and zero in on one thing. So we become jack of all trades in our spiritual walk and never really master anything. Paul says, one thing I do, and he says this, forgetting what lies behind. <laughs> forgetting what, is, what has transpired in the past. And he doesn't mean that what happens in the past is of non-significance because our past is a part of our story. But what he's saying is, I don't park and live in the past. Okay, we'll, we'll get to that in a little bit more. Uh, the easiest way to waste your life is to spend yourself hung up or living in what happens happening in the past. It's difficult for you to be driving forward while your head is turned this way. That is a collision destined to happen. I don't care how skilled the driver, and we know we have stunt men that do all this kind of stuff, but we who are just regular folk... You know, we didn't take no master's course in, 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 in stunt activity. 
So when we get on the freeway, our eyes better be looking that way. If I see you on the freeway and I see you driving with your, I'm going to pull you up. I'm going to call 911. That person, they're about to have an accident because they can't see what's ahead of them. <laughs> Jesus. Um, so many gifted people, called people, are stuck right here. And they should be all the way down there. You know where he is? In the past. They're stuck right there. They can't even move. They are paralyzed in the past. And every time they, they try to, every time they try to make one little move, the enemy bombards their mind. The accuser of the brethren tells them, you are nothing. You will be nothing. You are not going anywhere. God has no use of you for you. You cannot go forward. And they become paralyzed. And when the soul becomes paralyzed, inevitably depression will come and bring all of its cousins and family and them. <laughs> and we are stuck watching everybody and life going forward. And then we start saying things like, well, what's wrong with me? Why, 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 why can't God use me? Why, why is such and such a person moving and going forward? And it seems as though I'm still stuck. And we start focusing on self instead of start focusing on the promises that God has spoken over your life that's down there and at a destination down, down there, but you are not at the destination. The, the promises are at the, is at the destination waiting, but you are not at the destination, which means there's no way you will inherit the promises. You have to make the decision to get unstuck from the past. Let me just say, the reason why Paul had to make this statement is because the enemy was always trying to remind him of how he persecuted the church. Wait a minute. You were killing people. You, 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 know, you know, first of all, you don't, you don't really even know who Jesus is. You wasn't even a part of the elite 12 that Jesus walked with. So, you know, your revelation is kind of questionable anyway. I mean, at the backside of the Arabian Desert, you got this revelation that we can't find in the text anywhere. What? And so Paul was constantly having to fight off the attack of the enemy about his past. And I believe Paul put this in there so that we would understand that the enemy will always attack us with our past. Uh, and so he's called the accuser of the brethren for a reason. Uh, the accuser is looking for us to agree with his accusation. And so now we have a double accusation coming at us. But thank God for Jesus. Somebody just thank God for Jesus. Be, be, because, because with Jesus, we have, so you have the accuser, but with Jesus, we have an advocate. So with the, with the enemy, we have a prosecutor, but with Jesus, we have an advocate. We have a defendant. And so here's the choice. Here's the choice of the will. We get to choose who we're going to side with. When you choose to side with the accuser, with the prosecutor of your soul and of your future, you will always be paralyzed in the, in the past and you will never be of any use to anybody or of the kingdom. Paul uses language of an athlete competing. He's, in, he's exhorting us to press forward. 
He's calling, he's calling us to forget that which was behind. Forget all the mistakes, all, all the disappointments, all the stuff of our past fears, our past focus, and our past failures. We have to decide. The reason why we taught for four months on discernment is because sometimes the enemy show up in people that we love. Uh, uh. And when your soul is more attached to people than it, it's attached to the Holy Spirit, they will show up in your life and they will begin to accuse you. They'll begin to say things to you that's killing your spirit. And because your soul is so attached to them, you can't discern that that person is being used by the enemy. And Jesus said to Peter, Peter, the Lord rebuke you. But take heart, I've prayed for you. That whole scenario was Jesus is telling the disciples you have to go to the cross. And Peter is so connected soulishly to Jesus, he begins to rebuke Jesus. Telling Jesus, you ain't going to the cross. <laughs> and so in that moment, he's now being used by the enemy. And Jesus had to call that out. And I'm telling you, as you go into 2021, there's some things that you're going to need to see by the Spirit. And some things that you're going to need to hear by the Spirit. Because the enemy is walking to and fro, seeking whom he may devour.